Hello, and welcome to the Planetary Regeneration Podcast. I'm your host, Gregory Landway. We have a new mini-series called Community Voices. And in this mini-series, I'm going to be interviewing um, some of the amazing community members who are actively building new classes of eco-credits, doing scientific research, doing engineering efforts throughout the Regen Network community. Um, so I hope you enjoy. These are going to tend to be a little bit shorter, more on the order of about an hour long. Um, I'm going to be continuing to do the long form uh, podcasts and have a, have several of those coming up. And I think generally you can look forward to a spring and summer full of more planetary regeneration podcast episodes. One other change that's going to be coming up is uh, I'm going to start inviting co-hosts to be joining me um, and hopefully building out a larger community of interviewers um, to really create an opportunity for uh, deeper and more rich conversations among multiple people at this intersection of ecological regeneration, climate finance, um, earth observation, science, and all of the multiple dimensions that we're working with at Regen Network to re- realign short-term, eco- uh, sorry, short-term economic incentives with long-term ecological health. Um, one way I've been uh, exploring, describing the bigger mission that we're on here at Regen Network is really reconnecting the social construction of value with ecological health. And in our cultural context, of course, that means uh, the scientific process of sense-making as a foundation for communities coming to consensus about what ecological health is, how do you measure it, how do you quantify it, and how do you create new uh, units of account that represent that value. So this Community Voices series is really highlighting some of the most amazing people on planet Earth who are actively working at this intersection. I hope everybody enjoys this, these sort of shorter interviews with community members. Um, and with that, we'll dive in. Hello, Regenerates, Regenerates, and Regen. Welcome to another episode of the Planetary Regeneration Podcast. This one is with a community member, Timo Thomas Morgan, the founder of Basin Dow. Uh, and this is a far-reaching conversation, lots of fun. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Timo and the rest of the community series that's kicking off here, where I get to interview amazing community members in the Regen Network community. Enjoy. Timo, welcome to the Planetary Regeneration Podcast. I'm stoked to have you on. We've been batting back and forth the desire to chat for months now and um, finally get to rock it with you. I assume it'll be the first of many. And yeah, just excited to dig in. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Gregory. Glad to be here. Thanks for putting it together. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, my pleasure. Usually we do kind of a long form ambling conversations that could last three or more hours. But <laughs> but today at the moment, I'm mostly focused on trying to have a little bit quicker conversations with all of the amazing people who have received uh, grants. And Basin Dow is one of the Region Network community grantees. So yeah, I, I want to you know, keep it a little bit more pithy than oftentimes I like to, you know, really get deep into the weeds on different things. But maybe, you know, this time we'll kind of keep 
it a little bit more focused on base and Dow specifically and what what you all are building, where it's fitting, what's evolving. And I know it's a it's evolving very rapidly. So I think this will be very interesting, uh, sort of like getting a pulse of where things are at. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that's just kind of like context setting. So um, do you want to just share a brief little intro where you're calling in from, who you are, and um, what's inspired Basin, and then we can dig into some details. Yeah, yeah, no, no problem. I'm sure we'll get into the weeds at some point, right? But um, uh, Basin Dow stemmed from um, a career, a 20 year career in uh, commercial and investment real estate. Nicknames Timo, uh, Thomas Morgan, full name. Uh, Brother in law gave me the nickname a long time ago. I'm based in Carbondale, no pun intended, Colorado. Uh, Carbondale is an old coal town, you know, just down valley from Aspen, Colorado. So we have a mix of like arts, culture, wealth, recreation, ranching, oil and gas. Like it's a pretty cool mix of uh, community and culture, which is awesome. So we, we love living here and we get, you know, we get out in the mountains and ski and play. And no matter what the season, we're out, we're outside a lot. But uh, 20 year career in commercial investment real estate. Primarily worked under the tax code, 1031 exchange tax code, helping high net worth clients defer taxes, going from one real estate property to another real estate property, done deals in about 40 states at this point, a billion and a half of volume. And I basically spent the last 16 months looking at how I could like combine that experience, the professional experience with my love of nature and rivers and watersheds and everything like that. And, and what kind of tipped me over the edge, Gregory, is we've had two forest fires in the last, I think, four years. In both times, we were basically on pre-evac, bags by the door, like ready to go, you know, might have to leave our house, not, you know, not know when to come back. And, and for, fortunately, we, we no damage, nothing like that, nothing like what happened on the front range here over the holidays, uh, which is absolutely devastating. But that was kind of the, the linchpin. And then also just like our water is all based on snow, right? Snowfall. Our snowfall is like visibly decreased every single year for the 10 or, you know, I've been out in Colorado about 20 years. I moved out here from Michigan a long time ago for a summer job, working on the rivers as a whitewater raft guide. And Basin Dow is basically accumulation of all my personal experiences and all my interest in crypto and Web3 and trying to bring all that together to create climate conservation, nature, carbon solutions at scale. Right on. How many people are rocking Basin with you right now, Timo? So with, with no marketing whatsoever, you know, just basically a announcement at the end of September on Twitter and just kind of DMing and talking to people. The Discord uh, grew to around 500 people right at the end of the year. And we basically had to shut it down because we're spending too much time onboarding answering questions, trying to plug people in, which is great. But we're like, we need to actually build something and do something. So we shut the Discord down, stopped onboarding new people. We set up a, a season two waiting list, like the first week of January. And that one is already at 50 people as of this morning. So we, with literal, like no marketing, Gregory, we could probably be growing 10, 20% a month. And what we're, we're building behind the scenes we have a core team of like 15 people. And then we have another like 40 people who have like expressed interest of that 500 who want to actually like dive in, be co-founders, be stewards, be contributors. And we're working on the systems behind the scene to actually plug these people in and actually get them to work and operate in this new DAO format. They don't have to wait for someone at the top to tell them what to do. They can just do and take action. And, and, that, and that's where I think we've been successful so far 
is bringing in scientists, ecologists, PhDs, masters, philanthropists, business owners, students, academics, and bridging that gap of like giving them an outlet. And, you know, we've talked about this before, but like, you know, people have climate FUD, right? Like fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and like anger, angst, depression. You add COVID to the mix, you add economic uncertainty to the mix. Like people need an outlet, like to work on something and feel like they're making a positive change. And I feel like that's that's one thing that we're working really hard at is trying to bridge that gap of like bringing people in and connecting them to like actionable things they can do. From climate FUD to climate FOMO. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it'd be better from climate FUD to climate YOLO. Uh, I, I like both of those. Yeah. yeah. To be honest, Timo, you are a one-man Twitter marketing machine. So I, I don't know how accurate it is to say that there's no marketing. You're like the shit poster in chief there at Basin Dow. <laughs> I, I'm taking notes from the best. I'm, I'm looking at them. <laughs> no, right, I've just right been trying to keep up with you, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Twitter to me, and I, I think you you know, probably feel the same way. It's like you can tap into any conversation at any time. It's like moving at the speed of thought, but not, right? It's like, you, you know, if you want to talk to experts and you, know, you add Twitter spaces to the mix, like you can join any conversation. You can talk to people. You can DM them. You can just interject on a conversation from three years ago, like search a keyword right? Mm -hmm. Like conservation finance and go find old conversations. Next thing you know, you're talking to people who like maybe only posted one tweet, but they're like still working on that. Yeah. 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 It's pretty amazing. And, you know, and I think the other interesting thing, you know, we don't need to go too deep down the Twitter rabbit hole, but crypto Twitter, like crypto runs on Twitter essentially, but so do other like climate kind of runs on Twitter too. And like us politics runs on Twitter. It really is kind of like this weird website. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's very, uh, it's very interesting how it fits into things. I was, uh, until about a year ago, I was like not a Twitter person. And then I was like, I think I need to be a Twitter person. Otherwise, this whole adventure of building an open source platform for aligning economic incentives with, with ecological regeneration is probably going to fail because, you know, how are you going to talk to people if it's not, you know, if you don't have an interface to just sort of have that permeability, like you're saying, like to be able to jump into somebody's DMs, to be able to comment or exchange conversation, I think it'd be hard. It's hard to build digital communities and tribes. So, I, you know, kudos for the speed and quality of the community build that's underway at Basin. It's really exciting. It, yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate that. I mean, that's that's what we're trying to do. It's like, I have had that conversation before of like short-term fear of missing out versus like long-term, like how do you create legacy, like permanent long-term evergreen type change. And so like, to me, like Twitter is great for that short-term, like what's the new idea? How can you create a poll and like ask people questions and like straw poll and like test out the waters but like, there's also the hard work, right? Of where are the scientists working? Like they might not be on Twitter. They're probably not on Facebook. They might be on Instagram. Are they on LinkedIn? Are they in person somewhere? Like, so how do you like bridge that gap? And I feel like, like that's one thing for me in particular, I'm trying to do like as, as a leader in real life versus metaverse is like, how do we merge the two? And I've gotten pushback from like scientists and academics in the real life. When you mentioned crypto or web three, or refi, they're like, what the heck? But as, as soon as you mention blockchain, they're like, whoa, like too much energy usage, like crypto scam. Like, so it's like this gentle massaging of like, no, well, let's let's just have a discussion, a conversation 
about that. And so how do we get more people to like see that there's actually benefits, right? Uh, in speed and, and coordination tools to actually like get stuff done faster at scale. Totally. Well, so I know Basin's been kind of iterating around a core of what it looks like to scale climate action, what it looks like to ground, you know, finance into real world activities at a local level. Um, I'd love if you could just give us a little bit of a synopsis around what it is that is emerging as uniquely Basin Dow in the midst of this big swirling, kind of confusing moment in which people are getting really excited about regenerative finance and the refi hashtag and other things. What are you seeing that's uniquely Basin Dow? And um, yeah, maybe just start there. What's emerging? Yeah, I mean, for me, carbon is just a means to an end. Like it doesn't matter, and, and carbon people get mad at me. Like I'm, you know, I'm in the air miners community, and there's a lot of technological carbon removal people in there, and that's like their main thing is remove as much carbon as possible. But to me, if you don't have healthy natural ecosystems, healthy animals, biodiversity, functioning water cycles aquifers, watersheds, if you don't have that, and if you don't have healthy people, both mentally, physically, emotional, it doesn't matter how much freaking carbon we remove. So like carbon to me is just a means to an end. It's a way to finance these projects and get people into these projects. And that's what I've spent a lot of the last year, let's say, of looking at like, it's not just about carbon. It's about all these other things as well. And like more of a holistic framework of like, how do you create systemic change with positive outcomes and, and benefits? And so one thing Basin is looking really hard at is like this holistic lens. And we're working at the real property level. And I might be biased because I've you know come from a real estate background. But to me, carbon, eco credits, natural capital, living capital, like all the things we've been talking about originates or derives from real estate. You know, like it or not, right? Our private property laws, global private property laws, basically create this system where, I mean, all of our natural resources, all of our oil, the mining resources, like comes from real estate or real estate law, real estate property rights on some level. And that's, again, that might be biased. That's just me. But that's where we're working at is how do we actually do restoration and conservation at scale using the private property law system that's in place? Like, yeah, maybe we'll eventually transition to a more commons-based system. And that I think that's like an end goal, like a systemic change. But like, how do we use the system that we have to create the change we need now faster? And so, so that's like uniquely based in is like property boundaries, real property rights. A real estate term is financially feasible. For, and that's for any business. Like, how do you make a project financially feasible and economically sustainable and that, that's like the core work we're doing is it used to be called the capital stack, or it still is in normal traditional finance. But like, what are the other types of capital that, you know, you guys have done a lot of work on that in like a real property setting? Who are the stakeholders, not just the shareholders? Animals, nature should have a seat at the table. Watersheds should have a seat at the table. And so like a stakeholder wins, like holistic wins. And but we're working at it from an, a project level per property, basically. And then how do we create value, societal value, impact value, nature value, ecological value out of that property? Like what are the derivatives that come out of a property? So are you working on building a um, portfolio of properties that have specific sort of eco credit upside or sort of ecosystem service upside? And is that what becoming a member of Basin Dow gets you? 
Or is that sort of like that element of the transactional relationship still not totally clear? Well, it's, it's emerging, right? I mean, with what you guys are doing with uh, eco credits and what Centrifuge and some of the other big DAOs are doing with real world assets, or if you, you, know, if you do a search for RWA, uh, there's some cool stuff happening where people are bringing properties on chain. And you know, we see an emerging market for like property rights on chain and basically realigning incentives and value exchanges with these property rights to create the outcomes we want to see in the world. But it, it's like this chicken or the egg or cart and the horse. Like, do you go find a property and then figure out what to do with it? Or do you figure out like what you want in a property and then use that filter criteria to go find the property? So we're we're doing both like you know, kind of burning the candle at both ends. You know, we have a team working on like call it the property rights stack or the, the yield stack or the capital stack of all these different things, carbon, biodiversity, ecosystem services, social impact, jobs, financial return for the team, financial return for the community. But then at the flip side, we have like a GIS and a mapping team working on like, okay, how do we find the properties? Do we go to the MLS? Do we go to Zillow? Do we go to Crexy? Do we go to public databases? Or we have kind of internal, not necessarily proprietary things we're working on, but like overlook things like motivated sellers, properties that haven't sold in a long time, real estate donations markets. And so we're ramping up what's called Basin Foundation, which is a nonprofit arm. Like we're gonna have a for-profit arm and a nonprofit arm. And basically we're looking at how to get as many real estate rights or natural capital rights, carbon rights into the treasury as quick as possible for as cheap as possible. So we're exploring a lot of different methods to how to do that, to get it into the treasury, but then also how do you like quantify it and basically explain that story and that, that story of value to investors, to community members, to stakeholders. And so that, that's a, an important part. And that's, that's why I'm excited about the eco credits module is like that is an integral piece to me of actually how you tell that story, that you know, base level data story of what the value is and, and why it's important. Yeah, well, so the piece that seems most interesting and uniquely basin there is, I guess, the Ricardian contract or the, I mean, and it, it seems like there's multiple layers here, but because also I would say that just like real world contract law around carbon easements or biodiversity specific easements, is pretty underdeveloped. You know, it's like general purpose conservation trusts are pretty well-trodden territory, but more specific, like, hey, I want to go to a landowner and just be like, hey, I want to buy a carbon easement from you that'll give us 50-50 rights to any carbon credits that you produce and specifies appropriate land use. And you're going to have to do the following things, you know, for 100 years or whatever it is right? Those templates, they don't really exist either on or off chain, which seems like it's a really unique opportunity because it's a unique opportunity to create both the kind of like click wrap, you know, clear, no bullshit sort of specific agreements between parties and also have that represented on chain and have that plug right into on chain monitoring and credit issuance and sort of markets and governance things. So it's very exciting. Is that kind of where you're seeing things start to focus in, in terms of base and research and development? Yeah. I mean, like, you know, 100%, Gregory, with like, it goes back to this IRL metaverse, you have to sort out in real life first, right? Or that's where the impact is going to take place. To me, metaverse is just a tool, like a financing tool, a marketing tool, a networking tool, a, a coordination tool. 
but like in real life, and that's like why base and Dow, like, and I've gotten crap for it. We're not anons or pseudonons. Like, and we, we ask you what your LinkedIn profile is. You have to get interviewed by two or three people on the core team to like, do we want to work with this person? Are they a real, real person? Like to me, climate work or nature work is like real life stuff, right? Like you have to go talk to cities. You have to talk to other organizations, other nonprofits. Yeah. Yeah. Investors. Totally. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like you, like, it's not like, Oh, like someone was saying, Oh, well, Timo, like that's a, a pseudonym. I'm like, no, that's a nickname. Like here's my LinkedIn. Like I'm a real person. Here's, you know, my ad, my office is right here. Like to me, like you, it's like this hybrid, like Dow, right. Gets the people talk about Dow being like a autonomous code, right. Or a computer or algorithmic thing. Like I view Dow as instead of decentralized autonomous organization, I view it as like a democratized autonomous kind of remote. People can do their own thing organism. To me, it's just another way of doing things better or faster. It, you know, assuming everything comes together with how DAOs are, are forming. It's like a, a squad way, a hive mind of, of doing stuff. But like back to your point about Ricardian contracts, LexDAO, for example, was one of the most like amazing things I've, I've had happen in the last few months. We are a guild of lawyers who are going to help you with your Web3 crypto legal contracts. So I sign up for a call. I show up and there's like six attorneys and they're not necessarily representing basin or us but they're just like answering questions and it's at the end of the call it's like make a donation of die or eth to our multi-sig address and if you want to do it again let us know and like a lot of those people in LexDAO are working on ricardian contracts they're literally open sourcing their securities agreements their real estate agreements their llc agreements so it's like in real life is now moving they're using github right to put up their contracts and, and they're actually programming smart contracts. And like, you know, that stems off of like open law and Aaron Wright and a lot of like the stuff they're doing. Yeah. But that, that's where we're at is how do you actually keep working in the, in the real life, in real world, like IRL. And same thing goes for like big climate funds and TradFi organizations. They want carbon, right? They want natural capital. So how do we work together, collaborate with them and not exclude them? But at the same time, not just keep using the same system that got us here in the first place. Cool. Yeah, exciting. I'm just checking out LexDAO. Looks interesting. So what's the biggest um, challenge to building in public and reinventing organizations and creating entirely new legal instruments and asset classes? <laughs> um. A lot, right? You're, you've been through it. You're doing it. Building in public, I think is great, but it can move slower because like people show up late to the party. They're like, oh, have you tried this? Or, oh, I'm not on the same page. So like it's moving faster, but then like by the time you re-explain something to someone because it's just like open and public, it actually can move slower. So that, that's one. And another challenge is like open source versus like, I need to put food on my table and my pay for my lifestyle and like do the things I want to do personally. So like this competitive environment of like, like I've learned a few lessons over the last year of like that the environmental movement, right. That I grew up in over the last 20, 25 years is very different than the climate business with like venture capital, private equity, hedge funds, like big money getting into it. People are buddy, buddy, your friend or whatever, but it's like, well, actually they're just taking ideas. And you know, you and I, you and I have had that conversation of like, if you tell your ideas to someone who's like, more capable, more organized, better funded, like you got to be careful, right? Because next thing you know, your idea is going to be out in the wild somewhere else. So it's like this balancing act of like building in public, being inclusive, 
but also like making sure you can execute on it faster or better or like build a better community around it to you you always say like we're gonna out cooperate the competition right or or like i, I like to use the the thing like community right you, you can't out compete community i think is like the the other kind of slogan you know so it's like this balance of like how do you like share what you're working on like let other people scale it let other people iterate on it but then also like we have to figure out how to pay people. We have to figure out how to like pay our bills. We have to figure out how to grow, right? Like we have to figure out how to be sustainable. And if you, if you like sharing everything and all of a sudden you have 10 competitors, it's that whole thing of like the pie, right? It's this balance of like individual and collective, you know, that's why I go back to like swarm and like herd. How do they protect the collective, but how do they protect the individual in that? And when do they make the decision? Like a flock of birds or a school of fish when they're escaping or attacking or whatever, like how, when they're moving, how, do, how are they communicating, right? How are they moving fast? How are they fluid? To me, DAOs, that's like the big experiment. How do we do that in organizations of people, right? And not, not this old model of like, we meet quarterly, we wait for the right people to be there, we table decisions, this like faster, more fluid way to make decisions. So that's the other thing is like my friend, Jim, who's a scientist, like he says, Timo, you're trying to basically build the airplane in the air while someone's building the airport at the other end that you're flying to. It's like this, this thing, Gregory, of like, we're trying to do real property. We're trying to bridge crypto and in real estate finance, but we're also trying to like do it under a new organizational form that like, is it a co-op? Is it a trust? Is it a nonprofit? Is it a LLC? Is it a business? Is it an investment club? Is it a social network? These emerging things are all converging, which is super exciting, but it's also gets very messy. Like kind of, you know, going back to your question of like, what are the challenges? It's like, I feel like I'm drinking from the fire hose, which is great. It's super exciting, but it's like hard to keep up and actually stay focused and get work done. Yeah. And then layer in the whole sort of like, where do you build your project and how side of things, which is also sort of like shark infested waters. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's fascinating, but also, you know, I mean, so given all of that, why are you so excited about it? Is that what makes it exciting? Is it the like, is it the sheer multidisciplinary chaotic emergence that makes it exciting? Is that, is that what's drawing you? Or is it um, your belief that this is sort of like an opportunity that may not come again as far as the change, the real transformation goes, or maybe the intersection of those two things somehow? Yeah, I mean, it, it goes back. Um, one thing that we've been building on is like a multidisciplinary team for transdisciplinary results. Like in the face of climate change, climate is nature, weather, carbon, finance, supply chain, people, animals. I mean, it's like so multidisciplinary. And if we're, we're all trying to build in our silos, right, of like individually, and if, if you're staring at an IPCC report in the face or a Paulson Institute biodiversity crisis report in the face, we only have eight years or nine years, depending on, you know, whatever publication you want to look at, how do we do something better, faster together? That to me is like, and that probably fits my personality type of like a little bit of chaoticness. I like knowing a lot about a lot of different things. Like I, I can go deep enough to be dangerous on each subject, but like I'm more of a generalist and I like connecting the dots. Like that's like, that's a fun thing for me. So like, that's one, one reason it just like fits like my personal experience, my, you know, my love of nature, my love of rivers, my, you know, my love of watersheds, you know, I love finance. I like the art of the deal. You know, I like putting things together and I, I like 
helping people like do cool things, you know, like it's when you see people like quick, you know, you like, you just jam on something and someone like a new idea, right. Emerges like this whole refi DAO where it's like just some ideas, right. It stemmed from a conversation you and I had with Peter back in November and one tweet led to another tweet. And next thing you know, there's a refi DAO with a lot of different people working in it. So like that's super exciting where you can just have a conversation and next thing you know, there's a group of people organizing around that conversation or that that impact. I mean, I, I think a lot of it, Gregory, is going to, there's a lot to be seen in terms of deliverability and like actually who can actually deliver on what they say they're going to deliver. I mean, I think you guys are a good example of that, of like, you know, I'm subscribed to your GitHub, your repo, right? Of like the, the push and the polls and all the coding stuff. It's like people are like building, right? People are like doing stuff. And like that to me is the core. It's not someone on Twitter just talking about what they're building, right? It's like there's people building or like in, even in our notion or our like spreadsheets, like there's people who don't want to be in the, the limelight, but they're actually doing stuff. They're typing stuff out. They're doing research. They're networking with people. So like this idea of like, okay, we actually have to get to results now, right? It's one thing to have an idea. It's one thing to talk about the idea. It's another thing to actually start getting results and real world impact. You know, my wife has been saying that to me over the last couple of months of like, how many trees have you planted, right? Like how many pieces of land have you conserved? And, you know, and so it's, right now we're just trying to still figure, figure all that out. It's like, how do we actually equate that to real world, like on the ground action? And so, you know, like tomorrow we're meeting with our local land trusts to basically explore eco credits with them, right? They already have properties. They already have uh, natural capital. Like they have an interest in this stuff. So that's like a real on the ground stuff. But, um, you know, one other part of your question resonated, like, and you said you only live once, right? Or you said like, it's an opportunity that might not come. And I, I feel like this is the opportunity of, of our generation, of our lifetime. It's going to define our legacy. It's going to define who we are as a society, right? And what we come together, you know, to rise to the challenge or not rise to the challenge. So that's, that's also exciting to me. It's like being a part of, of that community of people. Yeah, definitely. So what does the next six months look like for Basin Dow? You know, if you had to project yourself out in six months from now and sort of like work backwards, what's happened? I, I love that because my personality type is like esoteric and grand plans. And like, and I have some core people in Basin, but that's what they always bring me back to. It's like, okay, at the end of this meeting, right? What are the actionable steps that we're going to take? Or in the next... 30, 60, 90 days, what's that going to look like? So we're, I think by February, we'll have the Basin Foundation uh, at least formed and like in the hands of the IRS. And so when, you know, once that's approved, actually onboarding real estate donations, excuse as of last week, we're looking at a couple of like cheap or inexpensive pieces of property, like believe it or not, $6,000 pieces of land where we can actually test the model. You know, it's very similar to what uh, CityDAO did, but we're doing it in a different way. Let's go buy a piece of property. Let's set up the legal instruments to do it. And this is how we're going to restore it, conserve it, protect it, utilize it, finance it, monetize it. Let's run a thesis. We have a great grant from you guys. You know, we've raised some fund in, in the Git fund funds in the Gitcoin round. And you know, I'm I'm sure you're seeing it too, Gregory, but like I have investors basically two, three times a week just crawling out of the woodwork. Like it's trendy, right? Like climate, web three, crypto, refi. So it's like, we've been very cautious about bringing on money, but we're getting to a point where it's like, okay, we need to go do real projects. People need to get paid, even in DAOs, right? People still need to get paid. And so we're looking at, okay, how do we pay people? How do we buy property? How do we execute on this stuff? 
And then also like a token launch, you know, we're working on tokenomics of like, we want to be part of the currencies and the stores of value that are emerging that are backed by positive outcomes, regenerative outcomes, ecological outcomes, uh, natural capital stores of value. And so the basin token is basically going to be that. And how do we best do that without moving too fast where we trip over our own feet, where we, you know, where we set up the mechanisms and the right guardrails, right? To make this a long-term thing. Like, a, you know, th- this sounds cheesy as well, but like seventh generation, how do we make decisions that are going to affect our kids' kids? And so like, even if we have to go a little bit slower and, and I, and I struggle with that personally. So that, that's something I'm juggling. It's like, how do you go fast and slow at the same time? And so over the next six months, like, yeah, onboarding property, bringing in some aligned investors, continuing to grow the community and, and making it. So the community, like, you know, we have marketers, storytellers, videographers, filmmakers, and like systems people, right. Like working with those, those people to like, okay, if we open up the discord again, how do we plug those people in faster? How do we onboard them faster so they can just get to work and do something without having to wait a month or two months of like going through the, the, the process we're going through now? So we're trying to systematize this and like let people run with their idea, right? If they have time, energy, money, whatever, like go run with it and we'll just support you. I mean, I think you guys, right, are doing that. Like that's you guys are reading, leading the way in that, just letting people experiment on their ideas and building the ecosystem. And it's just, it's amazing to watch. I mean, the number of cool projects that are coming out of region network and we, we get, you know, people DM me, right. Or DM you. And they say, Oh, I have this great idea for this blockchain or this currency or this like organization. It's like, dude, there's already, I mean, like just join us, right. Like join the, the groups already doing it, like start your own thing, right. If you need to, or want to more power to you, if you can, but there's people who have like the groundwork is there. Like why reinvent the wheel, right? Like why spend six months realizing, oh, I could have just started day one because that infrastructure was already there. And it's like an education problem. It's like a awareness problem. How do you actually let people know that this stuff already exists, that they're not having to start from scratch? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, totally. There's multiple layers and multiple interesting, like the dynamics are very interesting, I think right now. In terms of like, how do you create a magnetic center that really like pulls people in and allows them to express their creativity and feel like they're engaging and also gives them tools to, you know, not be reinventing the wheel, not be making the big, big mistakes. There's a lot there. I mean, I think about this a lot. It's been fascinating for me to just see the sheer amount of, in quotes, refi deal flow that's moving and people are sort of like wanting to invest and people like, oh, now the VCs are all like, the biggest thing is going to be crypto and climate. And it's like, oh oh my God, you guys like, okay. Yeah, totally agree. (laughs) Um, It's fascinating. It's been a fascinating thing to watch. And, you know, it's interesting to see and just think about what does it look like to build community around the right pieces of shared and core infrastructure that everybody does sort of like find useful or need. The other piece that I think is really important is, as you were mentioning, what are the key things that if we don't get them right, actually, this will all have been a waste of time. And from my perspective, the first one of those that like has to be gotten right is the sovereignty piece 
you know, who's owning the digital or governance or scientific infrastructure. And those are the things that you need in order to sort of like build these markets. Who owns that? Who, because who owns it will dictate everything about what the quality is, what the market looks like, who's making money. You know, are, at the end of the day, are the people who are stewarding the land making money? <laughs> is there robust circulating flow for rigorous science? Or is is it sort of a value extraction model? And that money is like, it, it exists, but it's out somewhere and who knows where it is and what what it did. And, and I think that... That's sort of like, from my perspective, that's that's the biggest risk, you know, right now at this moment of everybody being like this, like beautiful renaissance moment where everybody's like regenerative finance, you know, Web3, crypto for climate. Yay. And, you know, the, the risk is that the, the way that the things launch actually ends up making it worse instead of better. And that is something that sort of keeps me up at night because I think there's a there's like a need to get it right. And unfortunately, or I have yet to crack the code. And I think we're doing as good as we can. There's probably a bunch of things we could do better, but I've yet to feel like I've cracked the code for making doing it right be competitive in the current <laughs> sort of like meme and economic environment. So it's always a bummer. Like nobody wants to be like finger wag that for not doing it right. That does, certainly doesn't magnetize people, <laughs> you know? So anyway. Well, I think it goes back to like, like the old way of doing things or the normal way of doing things to like the new way or eventually the better way to do things. So it's like this transition period we're in where it's like people want to take the old models and just apply it to the new thing, right? The new model, whether that, you know, with, middlemen or fees or extraction type principles uh, or top-down type decision-making. I mean, and that, I mean, Gregory, that's a real concern. I mean, I've ex- expressed both publicly and privately to you and others of like these big climate funds coming into the space, billions and billions of dollars. But it's, to me, it's just like same old, same old, the top 10% of the wealth coming in, taking advantage of the new thing. And they just, they buy all the carbon, right? They buy all the natural capital. They buy all the Web3 infrastructure. And there, I mean, there's criticism of that in Web3 right now in refi that like, it's just the venture capital firm just owning a significant share of these new things. It's not much different than Web2. Yeah. Some other people are, are bottom up getting wealthier, right? Or it's a community driven thing, but like the big whales still own most of everything. So how do you actually create a new model and something I'm exploring is like quadratic voting, you know, what quadratic funding came from. How do you limit capitals say in these decisions or these paradigms? Like to, to me, that's a big thing of like financial capitalism in finance being the main capital has been one of the, the systemic problems. But, you know, so how should, you know, people in nature and that the basin logo is a triangle for that reason. Like how do we, I know there's more types of capital, but how do we value those three things not necessarily equally, but like they're all equally important, right? They're all like, they all have a seat at the table without one. There's not the other without people. I mean, nature will live without us, right? Nature doesn't care about money or, or people to a certain extent, but like if we want to live here, right, we need to figure out how to balance with nature. And I think humans need to remember that we are part of nature. We think we're separate or above or, you know, or like, but we, we are nature and we're part of nature. And I think we, we have to somehow like, you know, ground that or, you know, core ourselves down to that. Yeah. 
Well, I, I definitely agree that that's a big part of things is, and that on some level, thinking about living capital and social capital and cultural capital as real forms of value that we need to attend to does require us to, you know, we can't simply use the same rules of the financial capital mm-hmm. structure. There has to be sort of some contemplation about that, I think. And, 100%. You know, like, like I was thinking about this in relationship to some of the ideas for people, people are interested in building different forms of stable coins and all sorts of things, right? There's all these ideas and everybody, every day, somebody, I feel like every day somebody takes this leap and is like, oh, galaxy brain engaged. There's all these awesome ideas that we could do. Like, what if we backed a stable coin with land? But it's like, well, you know, my first question is always, if you back a stable coin with land and that stable coin is then used in a set of abstract decentralized finance uses, and then there's a giant market downturn and you get cascading liquidations like happened with Maker 10 days ago or whatever, are you liquidating the land? And what does that even mean? And what does that mean? <laughs> and, like, and if somebody can't answer that right away, then I, I'm more or less, I'm like, great. Okay. So keep working on that. And then when you can like answer that question, awesome, let's do it. <laughs> if you can answer that question, if the primary form isn't just sort of like the abstract land value, but instead is the value of the public goods that that land is generating, you don't actually want to back anything with land. You want to back it with land use agreements and the services they provide. It's sort of like, in a way, I mean, and this used to be how, how this is, but I think you know, like back in the day, if you went into debt, you could turn into a slave because that, you know, if, if the debt was called, if that liquidity event happened, like you are the final, you know, the human is the final piece. And, you know, obviously in our society, to a certain degree, we've evolved beyond that. Although I think there's still certain elements that kind of like maybe are contraindicated there. But that's the kind of thing I think we need to be thinking about, which is, you know, how that the land really shouldn't just be going up for auction. You know, it it can't and nor could it be if there's a set of, for instance, ecosystem service easements, contracts, you know, forward contracts, etc. So there's like a really, really, really fascinating, interesting piece of design work to do there that I feel like is there's enough people talking about it and there's enough community building around it that I think we're going to get it right. And I think Basin's going to be a big part of that, but I haven't seen it yet. I haven't actually seen like a rigorous legal token economic technological scientific intersection for what does it mean to sort of like appropriately deal with the the intricacies and subtleties of getting land as a part of an asset system in that way yeah i mean in all honesty you know my dog woke me up at three in the morning last night to go outside wanted to go bark at some deer or something and I'm laying there waiting for her to come back in. And I'm th- I was thinking about that exact same thing. Like, how do you make it so, like a currency, right? Is not backed by the land and the land is not at risk, right? Whether that be debt or equity or just a, a capital call or a liquidation. And so how, like, what's that legal structure? And that's the, the debate I'm having with some of the real world asset people. Like they all think of it in terms of security in claims 
in perfecting title, right, to that underlying claim, the underlying claim of the asset. Uh, they want to be able to liquidate the property if they need to. Exactly. But but that's exactly what can't happen if it's going to work. So there has to be this other legal representation and this other holding that sort of parses those out. Back in the day, I used to call that concept the living capital trust, where you'd have, you, you know, you take the land off the market, you parse up a set of like conservation and car- carbon easements, and you'd be selling the right to offtake the carbon, for instance, but you wouldn't sell, you know, like you'd be locking in. There's some has to be some, and that's actually the value. I mean, that's what you're pitching is that actually this land is going to be dedicating itself to providing these public good services. And that's what will never sell. And that's the security. If that shift, if that like investor shift for them to be like, oh, cool. So this is going to be the foundation for this whole new asset class. And that's, un, you know, like nobody can shake that. Then I think we we're on to something. And that's, you know, I, I go back to like, we're still exploring what's the top level, like for-profit entity, right? Like we have a DAO and what, so like, what entity is that? Is that a Colorado limited cooperative association, which a lot of Delaware companies are now coming into Colorado and using, or is that an unincorporated nonprofit association, which A16Z is recommending, which to me is crazy in the world of like liability in real estate. So you have like this DAO entity that then manages another entity, which is like the land holding entity and all the liability that stems from the land. So like Gregory, I'm, I'm leaning more and like the basin team we're leaning more to like a trust model. And I'm actually going to pull the ministry for the future, like definition of like, who are the beneficiaries of the trust that's set up and it's evergreen permanent. So if the Dow is the trustee, right. And who are the beneficiaries of this land? How do you manage it in that context? And then manage the liability of each individual property with other other entities, which we'll probably just yeah. use LLC. You know, this, this is technical, right? But we'll probably just use LLCs, SPEs, SPBs, at a property level. But then, but to your point about trust, how do we create an entity that's like cross-border, cross-jurisdictional that basically lasts forever? And that—that's what you know. I come back to one of our original conversations about the blockchain of like putting property titles on chain for this sole purpose. It's in the trust. Here's the blockchain. Here's the records. Here's all the derivatives that have happened from the property and the community governs it. Like, it's not that the property can't ever be sold. It's like, it's up to the community to decide based on the circumstances, what can and can't be done with the property at, you know, to given the, the economic circumstances of the time, but you know, and making sure that not, you know, it's not outsized voting or like someone can't get undue influence, you know, or whales can't come in and all of a sudden you know, basically control the trust and the trust is totally different than what it was intended, you know, to set up to do. So those are the things, you know, exactly. back to your question. No, no, that's, yeah. that's, that's all, that's all exactly right. And I would note also that, you know, just my um, every hour, if I don't shill region ledger and the Cosmos SDK, uh, I get sort of like zapped by something, you know, or, <laughs> but that, that specific use case is exactly why the groups module the Gov module and Auth Z are engineered they, the way they are on Region Ledger, which gives you a very simple way to parse out different actions. So a specific address can represent a property or a set of properties, and other addresses can represent 
you know, investors or something, but Auth Z enables you to parse out the action that 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 specific address has related to the other. So it could oversee like land use within a set of parameters, or it could delegate a private key for staking and governance, but not the ability to transfer or sell, for instance, just to sort of like, you can like parse out things, just like you do with a set, like with if I write a power of attorney, I can make it very clear, like this power of attorney is for, you know, only X, Mm-hmm. you know, during this period of time. So the same sort of thing where you can sort of like really delineate what is happening uh, with sort of like an object capability in terms of the programming side of things, just like we do with uh, legal contracts. So, um, well, Timo, this has been a fantastic conversation. I super appreciate your time. And um, yeah, looking forward to sharing this with the community. And um yeah. Do you want to share just any last, like where people can uh, follow you or, or get in touch? Yeah. I mean, just, just Basin Dow on Twitter or, or Timo Industries on Twitter. Uh, it's a great place to start the conversation. Yeah. I mean, just like I, I go back to like LFG, let's, uh, you, you know what go. So um, it's fun to, to speak to Captain Planet here in person. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Thanks so much, Timo. Have a great day. All right. Thanks, Gregory. See ya. Right. Bye.